In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in May of 2022. My name is Donna Blanchard. While we recognize that Mickey is dying, we'd like to welcome you to another day of his life. Hello, Mickey Weems. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to another day of your life. <laughs> How are you doing today? Where are you emotionally? Emotionally, I've had a couple of ups and downs from yeah. yesterday. Um, uh, physically, I'm doing amazingly well. The pain levels are very low. So sometimes I get it's like an oasis in the middle of a harsh desert, right? And right now I'm in the oasis, like you know, eating dates and having being fanned. So, <laughs> uh, and so you just you woke up and you felt? Did you feel like pre-cancer good? I never feel pre-cancer good. Okay. But the, there have been times when it's been really, really bad. And this is not one of them. This is one of those times where all that stuff has kind of died down and gone into the background. So, yeah, it's, it's nice. Okay, good. The fatigue, the reason why I never go to pre-cancer is because I'm always tired, it seems like. There's always fatigue. Like just before I got up for, the, for this session, I had, to, I had to tell myself, once again, stand up. Go to the chair turn on the computer. Okay. I, 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 I tell myself all of these things to get myself going. Once I did, I'm good. Okay. But initially it's like walking through mud to yeah. get yourself moving. And, and I, when you talk about the, those days that you've had that have been very uncomfortable, can you compare that to something that we might understand? Um. You know, people talk about the levels of pain, right? Is it a four? Is it a three or whatever? Yeah. Um, for within the way, and I guess that's so, it's such a subjective thing, right? Um, on the days when it's really bad, it'll jump up to a six or a seven. It never gets absolutely horrible. Or I should rephrase that. So far it hasn't. And well, you know, keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. I always think of a 10 as like, the moment you break a bone. Yeah. The, uh, the moment I break a bone, that's going to be a 10. Oh, if, if. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, God willing, it does not happen. I'm glad to hear that you're feeling good physically today. It, emotionally, you've had some ups and downs. Do you want to expound on that a little bit? Sure. Um, Somebody said something to me, looking me directly in the eye, and it was off. There was something, something off with, with the way they said it to me. And it was mildly insulting. And I was trying to figure out what it was, trying to put my finger on what it was, and I couldn't. It, it was, so I just thought, oh, it's, it's just my imagination. And I, I, you know, it's sometimes it's worse to take offense than to give it. So I thought, you know, don't, don't take offense if you don't know for sure. So I went to bed last night, and when I woke up, I, I, yesterday was a fantastic day. Um, I woke up and I was feeling, I was feeling horrible. I, I, I felt as if I had done something wrong. I felt as if I were a phony. I felt as if I, yeah, that's crazy. I felt as if I were putting on a facade for people and I couldn't, where did this come from? Right. And I realized that, um, it was because of the incident that that whatever was said to me, my mind went over it and 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 pinpointed 
what it was that was going on, what the person had done. And like I said, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm making too much out of it. But I came to the conclusion, it was, it was like a wake-up call for me. I'm kind of glad that it happened. Because what it indicated to me was that, you know, I go to the gym, I go places, I talk to people, and I, I put on a great facade. Nobody would know, right? Um, I, I'm so there's I can understand because I'm a doubting man I can understand why somebody might doubt my story so I thought okay who really needs to know that you know my medical record my brother-in-law who's a doctor has already seen it my dear friend Chris Warholic he has already seen it they're both doctors um, I think Danny Garcia over on Maui there's a doctor there. He's already seen it. So the people I know in, in, the, in the, you know, in the medical community, they, they know it. And they're, they're, but, you know, everybody else, like my, my tweets or my friends on Facebook, um, maybe they don't. And I thought, well, what about the people on this podcast? What about the three of you? And I thought, I want you three to be completely confident that um, what I've said to you is true. So I sent you guys the actual document of my diagnosis or one of the documents of my diagnosis, the most recent one, at, I think it was dated April 14th, where it says patient has uh, stage four can terminal cancer um, with, um, what's it, uh, with prognosis of six months or less, okay, and that the patient is only receiving palliative care. So that means that I am supposed to check out of this world within six months and that the only care I'm receiving is that for people who are dying. For those of you that may not know, so I didn't know what palliative meant <laughs> until I was in this situation. So if you don't know, don't feel stupid, okay? Because I didn't know <laughs> either. So um, yeah, and I, I feel so much better now that I've done it. And I hope it didn't, I, hope it was okay with you guys because the one thing i wanted to make really clear was i know you didn't doubt me i no, know that no not not for a minute but mickey i can understand you look like you were in the peak of health you know and that is part of if someone is just seeing you in costco <laughs> How, how would they know? And it may be hard to believe because we imagine someone in stage four of cancer looking withered and slumped and shrunken. And you don't look like that at all. And you don't act like that at all. I, I, I'm really sorry that you, you felt the need to you know, prove that, but you are a shining example of what palliative care can look like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean but of course it comes with the price right i will not be living an additional five years yeah no it's like doc it's like the doctor said you know six months or less and i am so at peace with that uh if i can continue to live with the happiness that i have and the vanity <laughs> which is so important to me of uh, being uh, having a good build of uh, being able to go dancing, being able to go to the gym, hang out with the gym rats, you know, that, that's, that to me is fun. Um, and I would rather have that for six months than to go into the slow decline of five years to 10 years that some people do. And the other thing about the five years, when 
my urologist first told me that he thought that I had terminal cancer. This would have been March of last year. When he first told me, um, he said, we can extend your life. Uh, Two thirds of the people that undergo the treatment, it works. (laughs) Oh, two thirds. So a third of the people, they're going to go through all of this crap and it's not going to do a damn thing for them. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And, and, but he and the other doctors, God bless them. I love them all so much. They couldn't understand why I wasn't doing it because they're so used to people saying, I will cling to life as long as possible. And I understand why people do that. I understood why my niece did that for her daughter. I understand why people do that. So I, this, this is no judgment upon them. And I admire, honestly, I admire their bravery because I am not willing to put my body through that. And they, they're doing it knowing the risk and they're doing it knowing what they're going to go through. And they're saying, yeah, hell with it. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this to extend my life because there's things I need to do within the next five years or so. So my hat's off to them. My hat's off to all of you, everybody out there who's, who has cancer. Do you think that, I mean, I, I feel like you've been very open with us from the very beginning that your arrogance uh, in, in your, the way you are able to carry yourself has a lot to do with your choices, with which care to receive. Um, uh, do you feel, I'm sorry, this is difficult for me to even ask and you can always sure. just not answer, but do you feel like uh, some I'll, of I'll that is. I'll cry my pillow tonight. How's that? <laughs> Do you feel like some of that is rooted in fear of that, how you don't know Mickey, you know, you love that question. Okay. Now I'm doing internal inspection. I'm thinking, okay, what are my fears? My biggest fear is that I'm not genuine. And that's what got, that's what struck me this morning. That is the, 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 yeah, that's a rough one for me. I, you know, um, all of these people, that support me i want them to know that i am who they who they think i am and i'm trying my best to become even to live up to what 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 they see in me because i think a lot of times they see something in me that i don't see in myself oh man brother you should talk with my therapist because we talk about that (laughs) sort of thing all the time i have (laughs) imposter syndrome so Mm -hmm. big so where does that come from? I know you mentioned that you had some uh, problems with your family growing up. Did the, yeah. they make you feel like you needed to mask? Um, I'm sure part of it just has to come with American masculinity. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, you got, got to be the strong guy. Yeah. Right. You know, can't show weakness. And a Marine on top of that and a lifeguard on top of that. Okay, so that I get this double layer of machismo, hopefully good machismo, because there is such a thing, it can be good, um, that makes me not want to, well, it makes me want to go to the gym and hold up my head and have nobody notice what's going on unless I tell them. That's Mm -hmm. the thing, because I don't want to seem like I'm whining. Yeah, when I totally get that. And you have lots of reasons to whine. <laughs> Nobody Why? would blame you. Say wine? 
if you wanted to. <laughs> Cabernet? <laughs> wine. I was saying wine. I, no one would blame you if, if you wanted to, but I totally get what you're saying that, you know, we, we want to be who we want to be and, and what we uh, picture ourselves striving for and living up to. I, I I understand that. I just want to say you are one of the most genuine people I have ever met from the day one. You show up. You have one of the most intense gazes in conversation, which has always told me you are so freaking present with the person with whom you're speaking. You are 100% present. And I would never for a moment question your integrity. You are that person that you want to be <laughs> Mickey one 100% and we are all here for you because of that you know if 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 any of us doubted you for a minute trust me we wouldn't be we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be putting in this time with you we wouldn't be so passionate about going through this with you and, and supporting you and and getting your message out if we thought for a moment that was false, you know, I, I hope I, sorry that you felt like you needed to prove something and you are living proof of it. Well, um, I think in the long run, there's going to be dividends for me just being straight up and saying, okay, here are my records. You know, this is just, this, this is my personal history. You know, what the hell? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just, yes, I, I, giving that, letting people know, I mean, it takes a real slime ball to have that doubt, but also I always like to think, oh, we don't know what's going on in that idiot's life, <laughs> you know, why they might have reason to, yeah, to doubt. I just don't want it to get you down. Honestly, Part of me suspects that if given the right situation, I might have been that slime ball. I might have doubted. Uh, yeah. That, so you know that, that's one reason why I'm why I am being very careful not to reveal the person that said it or the setting in which they said it. Because um, first of all, I could be wrong. Maybe it wasn't shade. Maybe it was just me having an off moment. Um, second of all, you know that that given the right circumstances or the wrong ones, I guess. I might have been the jerk. Well, that see, there's that integrity <laughs> I'm talking about to, to, to be able to say that. And I know there have been plenty of times in my life where I was a, a, a jerk and I look back on it and think, oh, there, but for the grace of God, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't know only the doctor offered treatment that is only effective two-thirds of the time in extending your life that's, that's those are bad odds that's that's standard that is if if the doctor told me correctly and i have no reason to believe he's he's lying because everything he has told me has come true um and he said it with such confidence yeah two-thirds i went <laughs> that one-third bothers me you know that's a little bit too near to half <laughs> yeah yeah, no kidding. It's darn close. Well, remember I was talking about the loneliness that comes with cancer. 
mm. that you have to you have to make decisions life and death decisions quality of life decisions decisions that could leave you you know completely immobilized emotionally and physically um and you have to make them on your own and you have to make them with incomplete data that's uh, that and and the doctors are the same way you know um they're work, they're doing the best they can but they have incomplete data as well yeah yeah doctors know far less about what's actually happening inside our bodies than we want to believe <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I, I respect doctors and I, I, uh, I, I don't want to n- negate anything that anybody's doctor is telling them, but it, there's mysterious stuff going on for them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's tough. That part is, I think that that's actually for me, the toughest part. Yeah. Do you ever have moments now of questioning whether or not you should seek more treatment? Nah. <laughs> Cause they're, they're, they're still trying to talk me into it. My radiologist gives, gives me grief. And I sit there and I take it and I say, I'm sorry. Because I know he's speaking, you know, because he cares. Yeah. So I, and I apologize to him. I'm sorry, but that is not, that, that's not what I want to have happen. And so... Yep, he's he's come to accept it. We have kind of a joking relationship about that now. Uh, Mickey, you've talked about before some issues growing up and feeling like you weren't good enough. Did that come from, were you raised in a strict Catholic household by any chance? Uh, The Catholicism we were raised with was kind of fabulous, at least for me. But then again, I'm also a son and not a daughter. And I've learned from my sister, my sister, Debbie, the eldest, that there is a difference. And the being a daughter seems to be a, a catastrophe in my family. Um, that as a son, um, if I brought home an A minus, my mother would look at me and say, why isn't this an A? Well, because, you know, I, I, I do have the aptitude. She is correct. Um, but if one of my sisters did, she'd say, oh, that's okay. So um, that that's kind of related to Catholicism, I think, because the expectations of of boys rather than girls Um, on the um, spiritual side. I love the Catholicism I was raised with, with all the saints, with um, the rituals that I eventually got bored with. But initially it was okay. And having a first communion, I remember that being a wonderful time. Um, I remember that I remember CCD, the um, religious instruction for teenagers. I mean, that, that's the first time I made out with a girl. So <laughs> that's the first time I made out with anybody. So um, that I have fond memories of that, maybe for the wrong reasons, but yeah. Um, but the, the, the brutality of it came from my father. He did not know how to raise boys. So he thought he had to beat us into submission. And he did it to my other brothers as well, or at least the older ones. The younger ones, he started taking it easy on. I was the last one, I think, that he really would go after. Mm. Um, my older brothers would go after me too, but they didn't go after my younger brothers, I think because they were following my dad's lead. Uh, so your dad was showing you a lot of toxic masculinity. At the same time, he was hilarious. Oh. He, 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 my dad was a very funny man. 
And um, we already talked about his, his, his love of springtime for Hitler <laughs> and uh, the, the producers, the movie, the producers yeah, and how he would lampoon the Nazis and make fun of them. He was hilarious when he did that. So I, so I, I get the sense of humor too, but uh, the biting remarks, the, the belittling at the dinner table to where um, somebody would end up, my, it would make my mom so angry because somebody would end up leaving in tears from our table. Um, and pretty regularly. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't always physical, it was also mental. Um, it got to the point where when, when we were older, I, I made up a song to sing to my brothers and sisters. And I, we'd clap to it. Let's hear some crying. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear some crying. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd all laugh because we knew that that's, <laughs> that seemed to be the regular root, you know, state of affairs at dinner. So I, I, I was able, we were able to laugh about it. So that, that, that's one reason. Maybe that leads to my sense of humor that I have now. I don't know. It, well, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. We just have a couple minutes to go. So <laughs> let's have a couple of your favorite saints and why. Okay. Uh, let's see. St. Martin de Porres. He was an African Peruvian. He could be in two places at once. Ooh. He would be like eating almost nothing but always feeding people. He'd always be bringing them fresh fruit and bringing them food. Um, I think he could also fly. So he's like this superhero saint, right? Um, oh, my sweetheart right here. St. Marianne Cope, beloved mother of outcasts. Aww. Her statue is over in Kaka'ako. She's the one that, that worked with the, with the colon, the leopard colony, leopard colony over in um, uh, Kalaupapa. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I I love her. I, she's she's my go-to. She's my go-to saint. Uh, saint Francis, of course, you know, because of my animal love. Um, I had a I had a nun once tell me because the Catholic Church teaches or taught. I don't know if it does now. Taught that animals don't have souls, and she said no. She 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 just went blaspheme. She said, "Oh, no, no, animals have souls. Don't doubt that for a bit." I saw it. I love the nun that did that. Oh, nice. And I just want to say that you have a, you have a, the saint card of Mary, Marian right there. You showed us. Yep. She, I, I showed you all, I showed everybody the picture of Marianne <laughs> Cope and the saint card has a relic on it. Right by your oh, computer. Special me. Thank you so much for a, another incredible day of sharing your journey, Mickey. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for, for joining me in it. I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying.